This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. Let me open us up with prayer, asking the Lord for help in these passages this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, um, I am so thankful for the joy and the peace that your presence brings, Lord. Um, I thank you that you are here with us in your heavenly temple, the church that's being built up into the image of our head, Jesus Christ. I thank you that as we sing and as we worship, it's, it's not just um, routine. It's having a real sense of the presence of God, having joy and peace coming from knowing that you're here and that we can worship you and that we can draw near to you and that we can experience more of your goodness. Lord, I thank you for just the weekly rhythm of having a, a real felt experience of your presence, Lord. Lord, we know that your spirit, as he dwells in us, he works through the word. He has uh, inspired scripture. He's, he's carried along those, the prophets and the apostles and, and has, has given us a clear communication of who you are. Um, Lord, there's no more wonderful thing in scripture than the beauty and the glory and the majesty of your son. I pray that as we work our way through Luke this morning, I pray as we consider the things that Jesus is saying, that through your spirit, these words would stir our affections and our hearts and draw us up to you. They would change us, Lord. I thank you that you impart wisdom in your word and yeah, just give us some focus and give me some clarity um, to communicate what you have to say this morning. In your name I pray, amen. I feel like you guys sit on the farthest this way, so I have to do the most head swinging. This way he can't be looking directly at me. <laughs> um, I know, I'll just there. I'm going to back up a little bit. Um, yeah, so we're, I've, I've sort of enjoyed this series um, and I hope you have too, of just kind of working our way through the book of Luke. Um, you know, and, and we try uh, real hard when we uh, sort of open up a Bible uh, or a book of the Bible and work through it. Uh, we do, we like to go like verse by verse or, you know, I grew up where you could go word by word sometimes. Um, but it's, it's good also to take a book like Luke, um, which is part of a larger work of Luke Acts, which is a, a gigantic section of the New Testament and kind of just... Um, I want to say rush, but just sort of work our way through it at like a, a, a 40,000 foot level and get some of the high points. And hopefully, as we work through the book of Luke, as we read through our little journal Bibles, as we're, as we're considering these things uh, every Sunday, it gives you a chance so that when you go back and you read Luke, you're like, I have a grip on this, on this book. I know where it starts. I kind of know where it goes. I know where it's heading. And that's sort of our goal in this series. We're not picking apart every little detail. We're really just trying to get an overview of the book so that when you go back and consider scripture for yourself or when you read through Luke, you have a better idea of kind of what's going on in that book of the Bible. So we're in this, we're in this uh, kind of third major section that I'm calling The Way. We started out by just looking at how, in Advent, we started out how Jesus came to the lowly, and it was the lowly who rejoiced. 
It was the, the outcast who the sky rolled back and announced the good news of the birth of the Messiah to the shepherds out in the middle of nowhere where, where nobody cared about. It's the lowly in the beginning of Luke that rejoice at Jesus' coming. And then we spent a couple of weeks just kind of talking about Jesus and his uniqueness. Like he is our guide. He is the one we follow, the one we worship, the one we want to, to mimic in, in every way that we can um, because he's so unique. And we just talked about how he's the second Adam. You know, he's not only the second Adam, so he's this, this, this second representative of, every, of humanity in a, in a way that's unique only to the first Adam until Jesus shows up as the second and last Adam. But also, he speaks with his word with authority. So because of his unique place, because of who he is, his word should have the most weight. Like when he speaks, his people should be listening to what he's saying. And then we kind of jumped into this next major section that we're going to end today. Um, this next major section we're calling The Way. And I started it. And we're just going to be in Luke this morning, so you won't have to jump around to other uh, parts of the Bible. But I started it by looking at the end of this section. So right after this section, uh, if, you're, if you go to chapter 9, maybe just give you a little preview. Right after this section, in chapter 9, verse 51, is where the shift happens. It says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. So in Jesus's ministry, there was a point that the apostles noticed, that Luke noticed, where all of a sudden the direction of where Jesus was going was towards Jerusalem, where there was not friendly people there. And at the same time, he's moving towards Jerusalem. He's speaking of his death. And so that's sort of the, the next sort of major shift in the book of Luke right there. In this, in this section that we're calling The Way, we're, we've been highlighting this idea that we're, we're called to take up our cross. So let's back up a little bit to verse 23 in chapter 9. Uh, and look at what Jesus says. He, says if, he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Amen. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will, will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Amen. Yeah, we look forward to that. But what Jesus is saying, as we follow this series from the entire book of Luke, which is the, the suffering of Jesus leading up to the cross, and we're calling this the path to glory, because in Acts, when we get into the second part of what, what Luke is writing, he's like, everything I just wrote was everything Jesus began to do. And now as I give you the book of Acts, he's enthroned. He's glorious. He has power. He's building his kingdom. Look at what he's accomplishing throughout the book of Acts. I mean, that's everyone's kind of like favorite story of the, like, the crazy cool things that happened in the church. This is Luke presenting this material to us and saying, let me show you how Jesus made his way to glory. And we're not going to jump into Acts after this, so we're just kind of surveying the book of Luke. But that, you kind of have to consider that material as a whole because that's what Luke intended. Luke intended those two things to be considered as a whole. So as we follow Jesus' path to glory, Jesus says this, this thing that really should rattle us a little bit. He says, you shouldn't care about your life. 
He shouldn't care about your life. It should be whatevs. And worse than that, you should take up your cross. You should be, and he says daily. Like you don't daily get crucified. It happened to Jesus once. He's obviously communicating to us that regularly we're gonna have to deny our desires, our goals, our purposes, and submit ourselves to where God is putting us. Daily. If you understand what Jesus is saying, just in that section, the Christian faith should sound like the lamest thing. <laughs> like if, you, if, if your response is sweet, you're not paying attention. <laughs> Jesus is saying the way, the, the, the path that gets us to the glory and the majesty and the goodness of who God is, is through not caring about ourselves and submitting to what God would have for us. And again, by itself, that's like the worst. But that's not where the story ends. Jesus is, is actually talking to us about this fruit that comes forth. And we spent a little bit of time last week, uh, we, we were in Galatians and we said, as we are transformed, as we're shaped and molded in the image of Jesus, as we daily deny ourselves and take up our cross, something is produced from that. You get something out of that. <laughs> like there, there's a return on that investment of, of setting aside my goals, my ambitions, my priorities, and dying to self. And what we get in return is peace, joy, Love, gentleness, patience. Man, one of my favorite things that was pointed out to me in a book recently was, where do you see Jesus in a hurry ever in the Gospels? <laughs> He's taking his time. He went through all of Scripture. He just shows up and goes like, what do you, let's talk about Scripture for a while. <laughs> He's never in a hurry. Even when he's setting his face towards Jerusalem, we got a lot of chapters to go. <laughs> and there's, de there, there's, a, there's even in, this, in the section where we look at, there's a detour where someone's dying. He's never in a hurry. That like blows my mind. What would that feel like to never be in a hurry? I think that would be peaceful. <laughs> I mean, I think you would just be able to take in and enjoy the goodness of the things in front of you. Like how often do you miss out on what is right there because you're already thinking about what's next? Maybe that's just me. I see nods, so apparently it's not just my problem. <laughs> Some people are better at that. <laughs> that's not, that, we just don't live in a society that's like sit in it for a minute, you know? So as we deny ourselves, as, as Jesus says, the way, the path, this is a proverbial thing, the, the shape of our way to peace and joy and gentleness. And uh, my new favorite Bible verse in Isaiah, the one who believes will not be in haste. The one who believes will not be in haste. More peace, more joy as we deny ourselves. All those things that I'm saying, the, the good things that we're looking for as we, as we follow this counterintuitive way of Jesus 
We're looking for fruit. We're looking for fruit. And so, I don't know what I, my outline says at the top. Um, I know what it says right here. Yeah, finding the, that fruit. <laughs> How do we find that fruit? <laughs> Most of us are, are comfortable or at least... Um, have a real sense of when Jesus says, take up your cross, deny yourself. You know, like the weight of what he's saying is super clear and it's right there. But it's more difficult to look back on my week and say, oh man, that brought me so much peace and joy. <laughs> it's more difficult to say, Where's that, where is that fruit? Where is the things that God is promising as I reorient my life around the way that Jesus is communicating to me? So this morning, we're going to hit on two points to find that fruit. The centrality of faith in the indicators of faith. Um, and it's, you know, the outline is not complicated. Finding that fruit is centered around faith. <laughs> Finding that fruit is centered around our faith. And I, it's one of those like Christian-y words that I kind of just wish the Bible translated it a little bit differently in our English versions because it essentially just means trust. Your trust. I mean, that same word pistuo in Greek is translated believe, trust, faith. It's, it's communicated a handful of different ways. But it's, it's where is your trust? And I think that de-Christianizes it a little bit for us because like faith just seems like one of those things we have, oh, I have faith, you know? Okay, if, you're, if you walked up to me, I'm like, man, Aaron, I just had, oh, I just had trust today. Just trust. And I was like, I think I would be like, in? Like, what do you mean? <laughs> no, I just felt trust today, you know? Like, it, it has to have an object. Like, we all have faith. We all have trust. I trust that when I get in the car and push the button, it will turn on. A faith. And thankfully, I have a lot of faith in my car right now, but I've had cars where I had less faith that that was going to happen. I had less faith that I would turn the key and we'd, be, we'd make it from point A to point B. We have faith that after working for a couple of weeks, money will show up in our bank accounts. Like... And, and we actually have faith that we'll know how much it is most, most weeks. We have faith in that. We trust, we trust that that will happen. And what Jesus is trying to tell us, I think, in this section, we're going to be kind of skimming through a handful of things um, in 6, 7, 8, and 9. The, again, the transition happens at verse 51 in chapter 9. So we're going to look at a few ch things in the chapter here. But he mentions this idea of faith or belief seven times. And that's how many I counted. There might be another one in there. Seven times. It's like an important concept for what Jesus is saying. He, he doesn't just say, take up your cross and follow me. That's kind of the end of it. He, he actually has all these things to say about faith and trust. And then talks about uh, taking up our cross. And so if we're going to find the fruit, if we're going to have actual peace, actual joy, actual love come out from us because we're denying ourselves and taking up our cross, central to that is faith. Central to that is our, where we place our trust. Where we place our trust. Let's look at um, 
Let's look at the passage from chapter 8 that Ben read for us earlier. In verse 22, chapter 8, verses 22. Jesus is going to help us with this idea of faith. He says, Luke says, one day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out and as they sailed, he fell asleep. I like that. Just like another one of those times where you know he's healing people, you know he's preaching, you know he's being pulled in every direction. People are like get, coming from everywhere to have him heal. And he's just like pouring his heart and soul into serving those around him and proclaiming the kingdom of God. And he's like, you know what? Let's get in the boat. Let's go over there and do more of that. And he just gets in the boat and just passes out. Like, I'm, God has given him a place to rest, and he does. He's exhausted. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And so he's still asleep at this point. I mean, like, he is exhausted. There's a storm in this boat. It's filling with water, and Jesus is still asleep. Just like, man, at rest in the providence of his father, probably exhausted from serving so much. And they woke him saying, master, master, we are perishing. I mean, these are seasoned fishermen that grew up on the lake. I mean, not all of them, but enough of them. And they're stressed. Like, we're gonna die. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves and they ceased and there was a calm. And he said to them, where is your trust? Where's your faith? Think of some of the things they've already seen at this point. <laughs> like all kinds of miracles. Demons being cast out people being healed. The, the teaching that he's done, just explaining how he has come to fulfill this role that the scriptures were speaking of. Amen. He's in the boat with his disciples and they're like, it's all about to be ruined. Like how good is this project gonna be if we drown in the lake right now? And he gets up almost as to like encourage them at what he's capable of. It just says, stop. And everything goes calm. And it's crazy to me that the first thing he says is, where do you trust? Where do you trust? Like, look who you have with you. Most of us believe or confess with our mouths, so we'll put it that way, that through the Holy Spirit, Christ dwells in us. God 
dwells in his people. How often does that reality shape you when things are chaotic? Like, where is your trust? Too often, I think, it's in our ability, which for the record is exhausting because we can do so much to a point and then maybe a little more (laughs) if we had enough coffee and then we collapse. I, I don't, I'm guessing the disciples were like, we can handle this, you know? Like, it's a storm, we do this all the time. Water's getting in the boat, they're probably yelling at Matthew because he's a tax collector and doesn't know how to do this. Like, dump the water out, Matthew, you're good for this, you know? <laughs> we should wake up Jesus. No, we can handle this. Like, they get to the point where they're like, we're about to die. And then they wake Jesus and say, hey, what's the deal? Can you help us out here? What if we didn't wait that long? What if Peter stepped up and says, guys, we have the Christ of God sleeping in the boat. I think we'll be okay. Like he's with us. And, and we see as the spirit is poured out into the book of Acts, that's kind of what they do. <laughs> their disposition in their suffering has changed dramatically because they know the Christ that is with them. They, they have trust in him. And it's the same Holy Spirit that was brought into those disciples that lives in you today. That's stirring your affections, that's saying, who do you trust? Where's your faith? There's another story. beginning of chapter 7 I'm just going to read a few verses here to highlight in this section as we are looking for fruit where's the peace where's the joy where's the genuine love that comes from the heart where's the fruit we're trying to say faith is central where we place our trust makes all the difference in the world chapter 7 Starting in verse one. After he had finished all his sayings and the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, he is worthy to have you do this for him. For he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. I think it's interesting that uh, there's a lot of conflict with Jesus and the leaders. And it just says elders. So we don't exactly know, like, their role in all this. But it's one of the few times where someone in leadership kind of comes and says, like, hey, Jesus, we need your help. (laughs) 
So I wonder if they're like, this guy kind of did us a favor helping us build this thing. He's just this centurion guy. Maybe if we go to Jesus, he can help hit us back, you know? So we're still like in his good graces. Like, like we can go do a favor. So I wonder, I sort of wonder that even the posture of like the leaders as they're coming. Because they're like, he, he loves our nation. He is the one who built us. Our, so he's like, kind of like Jesus, this guy, if you heal him, totally worth it. Think about what he did, you know, just so you know, this guy's legit. He did these good things for us. And Jesus went with them. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself for I am not worthy. That's crazy, I think. Like the, the, the leaders of the Jews are like, this guy is worth it, Jesus. Like you have some, you got some skills. This is the guy we need to help out. And his servants come and says, do not trouble yourself for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Man, he's just humbling himself. Saying, who knows what he knows or where he's at, but is this is so consistent with the story and, and everyone who comes to Jesus and says, I am not worthy. I'm humble. I want to I lower myself and say, Lord, I want you to be the one to lift me up. And one commentator said, which I really kind of appreciated, we can humble ourselves before the Lord every day, all day, but if we don't humble ourselves with faith, with trust that he's going to be the one to lift us up, then it's a waste. And what are we doing it for? And I think the story is a really good example of that. He says, therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but you say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. He's impressed. Think about that. The son of God who's about to stop a storm and encourage his disciples to trust him (laughs) sees this man who not only humbles himself, but he says, I know you have authority. And I know that you just have to speak. And even though I'm not worthy, if you speak, you can make it happen. Jesus heard these things. He marveled at him and turning to the crowd that followed him. This is, this is what's impressive to Jesus. I tell you, not in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. I've never seen, Jesus is like, whoa. In all of God's chosen people, no one has trusted me like that. That's crazy. And Jesus only, that verb is only used with Jesus twice in the New Testament. He he marveled. He was like, wow. Once it was here and once in Mark when someone had opistuo, like the negator of trust, no faith. He was like, how do they not trust me? Whoa. (laughs) I think it's interesting that the, the, 
two times we see Jesus impressed in all of the gospels are centered around this idea of faith. He loves to see his children trust him. And when we don't, he doesn't understand that. <laughs> like, wow. Wow. They don't trust me. That's crazy. Faith is central. If you and I want to see, if we want to find that fruit, have that peace, have that joy, strength, comfort, gentleness, we're going to have faith. It's like the central thing. It's what really matters. So how do we know? Like this, what are the indicators of our faith? How do we know if we have faith? Maybe we'll talk a little bit about how we get it. But I think, you know, spoiler alert, we ask the Lord for it, right? And guess what we do when we ask him for it? We trust him that he wants to give it to us. We have faith that he'll give us faith. One of my favorite stories is where the dad cries out for his son and says, Lord, I believe, I have faith, but help my not faith, like, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, I trust you. I need your help to trust you more. Amen. So how do we recognize, how do we recognize the indicators of our faith? Well, for in chapter seven, I think one of the ways we recognize the indicators of our faith, one of the negative ways is when circumstances cause us to doubt. When our circumstances cause us to doubt. John the Baptist, you know, kind of a big deal. He, Jesus says, uh, up until now, he is the greatest of all the prophets because he's the one that prepares the way for God himself. Like, prophet par excellence. Dies for the faith, ultimately, you know? And doesn't really, just lives in the wilderness, he gets put in jail because he's speaking about the leaders who are in sin. <laughs> so that's an interesting thing. He's publicly proclaiming the sin of the government and they jail him. Read a, uh, a quote this last week, total side thing, but I have to share it. So the problem with our preachers today is we don't have enough of them that should be in jail <laughs> or that would go to jail. <laughs> Like they're not bold enough, very convicting, because I don't want to go to jail. <laughs> but point made. Uh, John the Baptist goes to jail, sitting in jail, and his circumstances now have showed that his faith is struggling. Verse 18 in chapter 7, so the disciples of John reported all these wonderful things that, I mean, he raises someone from the dead, all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? His circumstances, uh, he's the one that says, behold, the Lamb of God to come to take away the sins of the world. And now his circumstances has changed. 
And he's like, hey, uh, I think, behold, the Lamb of God. Like, can you go check and just make sure because I'm sitting here? There were things about how God's kingdom was working that John didn't understand. There were things that were going on in his life, circumstances that didn't make sense to him. And because they didn't make sense to him, his, his faith weakened. When circumstances change, especially when we don't understand them, what happens? Usually, we have less peace and less joy. Usually. If we can't make sense of all the puzzle pieces. That's an indicator of where our faith is. Our trust isn't in God's sovereignty, love for me, plan for my life, the good works he's had for me to walk into. My faith is rattled because my trust is probably in my ability to map it out, (laughs) whatever it is. Connect all the dots. See what the next steps are. When I can see it, when I understand it, I have plenty of faith in me. (laughs) And sometimes our circumstances change and we struggle. And we lose our peace. We lose our joy. And those are little red indicators. Uh, I should have said flags. Those are just like little waving things that are saying like, hey, um, I'm trying to, Jesus is like, I'm trying to show you where your faith is because the circumstance, I haven't changed. My words haven't changed. My, my love for you hasn't changed. Something in your circumstance has changed and it showed you where you're putting your faith. It showed you where your real trust is. And I like what Jesus does to encourage John the Baptist. He looks at the disciples and he says, look what I've been doing. And he quotes scripture and says, go share that with John. He's like, John is struggling. Look at the word of God. That will give him faith. Does he not understand all the pieces? Of course, he doesn't. None of of us do. But he says, look at the word of God. The blind are healed. The lame walk. He's basically pulling things out of Isaiah, which Isaiah is the one that makes the pronouncement that John would come in the first place. You think if John knew that was his role, he's probably real familiar with Isaiah. He's like, that's my book. (laughs) Talks in the... (laughs) That's my book. (laughs) And God's like, read it. Look what it says. Look what I'm doing. That's, that's what's going to reorient your faith from the circumstances to God's word. Ground yourself in the truth that hasn't changed from the beginning to now that you're in prison. But it was his circumstances that changed. It was his circumstances that changed that indicated where his faith was. jump forward I'm going to read in uh, the section in chapter 7 verse 36 here's a kind of a positive example an indicator of our faith Jesus is whining and dining with the Pharisee guy probably has some money trying to feel out this Jesus character kind of on his own you know like 
making a judgment on him. And while he's sitting at the table, a, basically a prostitute comes up and is weeping and washing his feet. Verse 38, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. And the Pharisee who had invited him saw this and he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him for she is a sinner. Man, so judgmental. He's just thinking it. (laughs) It doesn't come out of his mouth. But Jesus knows. He knows and he tells a parable about how much we love God based on how much we realize we're forgiven. In verse 45, he said, you gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, I mean, he's aware, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. He's like, if you really understood who I am, you wouldn't be sitting here judging me. You would have genuine love for me. If you really had trust that the Messiah had come and was going to restore their relationship with God and and raise up God's people into the presence of God, you would have a very different view of me. And then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who are at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? I mean, they're kind of just arguing about this point and completely missing the boat on what Jesus says. And he said to the woman, your trust, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Enjoy the fruit. When we fail, when we lose our faith, when we struggle, when we're just jerks sometimes or exhausted, where do we turn? Where do we feel welcome? If it's in the presence of God, crying out to him, humbling ourselves and asking him to transform us and confessing where we fall short, that's showing where we have our trust. We, we have faith that he's atoned for everything. We have faith that he is capable of drawing near to us, even in our worst places. If we, if we go to the Lord and we love him and we, we recognize how much he's done for us and we spend time at his feet, hearing what he has to say, praying for him, asking him to change the things in our heart, thanking him, praising him, worshiping him. All we're doing is expressing that we trust what he's capable of or that what he did 
or that where he'll bring us. Those are all positive expressions of having actual trust in who God is and what he's doing. And guess what comes from that? Go in peace. Go in peace. Leave here feeling whole. Leave here knowing I've taken care of it for you. Trust me that I'm a capable savior. Let's look at one more kind of indicator. In chapter 8, kind of 40 and following. What are, the, what are the indicators of where our faith is, what we're saying? If, we want, if, we, if, if faith in Jesus is central to finding the fruit, like having the peace and the joy and all, all the good things, as, as we take up our cross, as we deny ourselves, as we accept the circumstances that God has brought into our lives, if faith is central, then how do we recognize in our own hearts where our faith is? And I think as our circumstances change, so goes our joy and peace. That's an indicator of saying, hey, look, your faith may not be in the never-changing, all-powerful God. <laughs> it might be in something else. It's an indicator when we are struggling and we go to God and, and pray, that's, that's an indicator of the faith he's already given you. That's, a, that's a, something to praise him for and say, Lord, thank you that I have even that impulse to come to you and know that you've forgiven me. That's a, it's a positive indicator of your faith. I think another indicator of where our faith is it's kind of with our fears and anxieties. Those are other flags that just kind of point to something deep down that God's trying to help us lovingly, graciously, just like with the, the disciples on the boat. <laughs> like he could have just stood up and been like, guys, are you serious? I'm trying to sleep. I was sleeping so good. <laughs> but he steps into their life and calms the storm and says, where's your faith? That's what I want for you. Uh, starting in verse 40 of chapter 8, we get kind of another example of that where, where Jesus, again, is showing us the centrality of faith and then showing us the red flags that may indicate that our faith is not in a good place. He's kind of on his way. I'll just read. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him for they were all waiting for him. Everyone is waiting for him, and Jesus is never in a hurry. That's like the best thing. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had, on, he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. And this is a desperate parent. And Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and 
there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? Uh, When they all denied it, Peter stepped in with the obvious thing. Master, the crowds are surrounding you and are pressing in on you. (laughs) Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceived that power has gone out for me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. Which the centrality of blood in that culture, especially around the sacrificial system, around cleanliness, uncleanliness, like a bunch of people probably couldn't go to dinner that night, you know, because they had to do all these things. This is like a super embarrassing, you know, I can't, could spend some time, but essentially this is a super embarrassing, very socially unacceptable, everything like is wrong. No one in the crowd is a fan of this woman right now as she is forced to kind of let everyone know what happened. And in such a beautiful way, he says some of the same things to the previous woman who was ashamed. Says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Like you believed I could do this. Have peace. Like feel whole. Go. Rest. While he was still speaking, verse 49, someone from the ruler's house came out and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. I don't know how long that whole previous story like took, you know, but like he's desperate at this point as she's dying. He goes to Jesus and there's interesting commentaries that are sort of give a timeline of some of these things. It's possible to be like days. You know, you just hop on the bus and go to the other part of town, you know. But he gets messengers that it's like too late. I mean, I'm wondering what he's thinking of like the last thing that just happened, you know? Like, why did this lady ruin this for me? And I love what Jesus says. Because he cares and he wants us to have faith in what he's capable of, still today. Do not fear. Don't have anxiety. Do not fear. Only believe, only faith, only trust. It's the same word. The same word as your faith has made you well a couple verses earlier. Do not have anxiety. Trust me and she will be well. And they did. She was well. I can only imagine that that guy as they made their way back home, knowing his daughter was there dead, could just hear him praying, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I don't want to fear. I want to believe. I want to trust him. And the last verse of that story, verse 56, says her parents were amazed Wow. 
And I think that's kind of a good place to end because we're looking for fruit. We're looking for peace that passes all understanding. We're looking for joy when there's really nothing in the world to bring us joy. Maybe there's lots of things, but there's other things, you know. Extreme example. We're looking for love that comes from a place that gets nothing back. Ugh, that's, that's hard. <laughs> and when we have faith, when we see how central just trusting Jesus is in this whole taking up our cross every day and denying ourselves, and we see him work, and we have peace where we really shouldn't or haven't or wouldn't normally, we're amazed. We're like, wow. I trusted you, and look what you did, Lord. It's amazing that I don't trust you more often. And it kind of is. Jesus is amazed by that, but he has no sin. I think that's where we find the fruit. <laughs> we can see where we don't trust him. We can confess that. We can go to him. He's not changing his affections for us. Every single one of these stories, he's not like, oh, come on, guys. I did like 50 other miracles. Like, do you get it? You know, he's like, no, I want to show you. I want you to have more faith. I want, to, I want you to see what I'm capable of so that you're like, Wow. Don't I trust a savior who is so worth trusting? <laughs> and that's where we're going to find the fruit. <laughs> and that's where we're going to find the fruit. That's where we find the peace and the joy, even as we take up our cross, even as we deny ourselves daily. We'll be amazed at what God is capable of doing. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, man, you have really just given us an absurd amount of things to show yourself and to help us trust you. And uh, daily, that's still hard. And then there's so many things where we just need your spirit to work. Um, but Lord, you say in Ephesians, as we bring these things to light, that's where, where we begin to see ourselves transformed. Lord, you say that as we recognize where we trust things less than you and bring those things to you and confess, Lord, we know that that's what you love to do is transform our hearts so that we could trust you more. And Lord, I pray that if our trust is misguided, um, if we deceive ourselves into thinking that we trust you and we really trust ourselves, I know that you're going to step in in our lives and show us, show us the better route. Show us where our faith is. Lord, when we're convicted and we feel um, low because our faith is in so many other things, I know that you love us even more and you draw near to us and you care for us and you desire to grow that faith. So I thank you for that, Lord. In your name I pray, amen.